The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at overlandpark.cc. All right, man. Good, uh, good morning to you guys. And um, I am Shay. I'm associate pastor here on staff uh, at the church. And uh, sparing Pastor Jimmy this morning as he is hopefully um, sitting in a tree stand right now with a big old buck cruising right by. So uh, chances are actually, I hope that's what's happening, Jimmy, but chances are you have your ear pods on right now because he's the only guy I know that actually takes ear pods to the stand and like watches the news and stuff. But anyway, I hope he's having fun, enjoying a weekend off, taking a day of rest and enjoying himself. And, um, and certainly a huge congrats to the Martins, Corey and Christina. Really proud of you guys. Y'all are going to make some great parents. And, uh, uh, Jimmy would probably kick me in the knees if I didn't mention that he too brought home an, a new one uh, of, of a kind this week. Red Dog Holbrook made his appearance at the house uh, at the Holbrook residence this weekend. He is a newborn little bloodhound puppy, and he is a big ball of mush, and I'm going to come over after church and love on that little guy. Um, but anyway, uh, you got to put up with me for the next however long the Lord has me preach, and man, I'm excited. So if you're joining online, welcome. Uh, if this is your first time here at church, welcome. I've seen some new faces, and man, that brings joy to my heart. I love seeing new people come to the church, man. It reminds me the Lord is moving, and he's doing um, things that uh, are, you know, we're even incapable of making happen for ourselves. We're kind of working on the skeleton crew today. I'm feeling, I was feeling a little bit like Gideon, you know, like God tells him to go and, and charge on, and uh, next thing you know, he goes from thousands of, of men down to 300, right? And we're working on the skeleton crew, man. Like, had a band scheduled and had some people go down, had a little fill-in at the coffee bar. Sherilyn, thank you for the uh, coffee. Uh, anyway, man, we're, we're working on a skeleton crew, but that must mean the Lord is up to something good. Much like with Gideon, um, the, uh, the plan of God will go forward, and he doesn't need us. All we need is him. Amen. We're going to be in Matthew 25. If you'll join me in Matthew 25, we've got some text to cover today. We're going to take a brief break. We've been in a series where we've been going, we've been majoring in the minors, right? We've been majoring in the minor prophets. Uh, we're going to just, I'm going to give you guys a little breather. From the Old Testament, Jimmy will certainly pick back up for us um, next week in that. But man, we're going to jump in and in Matthew 25, and we're just going to hear directly from Jesus this morning, and we're going to trust that he has a word for us. Um, and I appreciate my wife spending some time with me last night buttoning up on what it was the Lord actually wanted to say this morning. Um, I get excited to preach, not because I care about y'all hearing from me, but I always know that the Holy Spirit is going to move through me and say something. And I'm always encouraged when somebody on the lobby was like, man, the Lord spoke in, in this way or that. And that is awesome, man. It's not uh, proof that I'm a good preacher. It's proof that Jesus is alive in me and that he's at work in your life as well. And so um, sometimes I have a hard time uh, coming to grips on what exactly I'm going to preach on, and I'm terrible with notes. So if you like notes in your bulletin, I apologize in advance. I'm not a notes kind of preacher. I have notes here for myself, but I don't always know what the Lord is going to spit out of my mouth, and so you're going to have to write your own notes down based on what the Lord puts on your heart. I'm not nearly as organized as Brother Jimmy. This is, in Matthew 25, 
the second half of what scholars call the Olivet Discourse, okay? And we're just going to get right into it. The parable of the ten virgins. Verse 1, Matthew 25. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Okay, and I'll just give you a little context. I don't think it's, it's, it's all that important that, uh, that we're, we're dealing with virgins here other than the fact that um, uh, Jesus mentioned as such. That's not the point here. The point is that the, uh, back in the day before, you know, when someone was to, to get married, um, there, was a, there was an agreement between the two fathers, between the father of the groom and the father of the bride, okay? There was an agreement that they were going to get married. That was the first thing that happened. Then there was a betrothing period, and then there was this great triumphal entrance that was a surprise to the bride where the groom would come in the, like a thief in the night, so to speak, where no, the bride did not know when the groom would come to receive her. The groom would be off busy building a house for him and his bride to live in, and when he was done, he would show up and surprise her. Now, the uh, bridesmaids, so to speak, uh, were these ten virgins. That's what we're being described here, okay? And uh, we see that modeled in a lot of our marriages today, the way we do marriage ceremonies. We have groomsmen and, and bridesmaids. That's, very, that's a biblical thing. That's how they did it back in the day. There was typically ten. And these ten bridesmaids, so to speak, would go out and greet the groom and, and, uh, and, and usher him, so to speak, to the bride. He, he, they would present him, but they needed to be ready, okay? Then listen to this. Five of them, in verse 2, five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, and underline this, but they did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. So all ten had lamps. Five of them had oil. Five did not. Okay? says, The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. This was the five that were wise. They said, no, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Basically, they're like, you should, where's your oil? Like, you should have already done this, right? Don't put that on us. And... Um, Verse 10, but while they were on their way to buy the oil that they should have already had, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour, right? So we have, um, there, there was really no apparent difference between the two that were wise, the, the group, two groups, right? Five that were wise, five that were foolish. Both had lamps, one had oil, and the other one didn't, right? It's the simple explanation here. Oil in, these, in the scriptures is always indicative of the Holy Spirit. 
always. And that's exactly what Jesus is teaching here in this parable, that what was required for access into the wedding banquet, which was the next preceding event in the order of marriage, right, was the oil. It was the filling of the Holy Spirit. And that we see that happening here. Um, what Jesus was attempting to explain to them was really for the message for the church this morning is that there's a difference between believing spirit-filled Christians and false believers. It, the, the Bible clearly teaches um, that, in, like, let's, let's just turn with me to Romans 9. I'm sorry, Romans 8, verse 9. You can turn with me there or just listen to me preach, whatever you want. It says, Romans 8, verse 9, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. Paul's talking about one who has been born again, a Christ follower. If, there's a contingency, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. The Bible clearly teaches that if you are not filled with the Spirit as a part of a born-again experience, you are not saved. It says in verse 14 here, same chapter, Romans 8, 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. I've said this before in a previous sermon that not all people, not all of, of God's created ones are God's children, right? We are all human beings, we're all descendants of Adam, but you do not become a child of God until you are born again and filled with the Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit is the seal of our salvation, right? We see that in Ephesians 1, verse 13. I'm going to throw some scripture at you here, so hang on. He says in Ephesians 1, verse 13, and you also were included in Christ, so you were found in Christ, you were saved, you had a new identity, right? When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, right? So the Holy Spirit is the seal of our salvation. That may have been something you've heard before, but it needs to be understood, right? The evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life is the seal of your salvation. If you're like, man, I just don't know if I have the Holy Spirit or not, then you're unsure of your salvation, and that's okay. That might be why the Lord has you in church today or listening online, okay? But it, um, you have to respond to it, right? You have to respond to it. And so um, let's see. I want to read here in Romans 10. This is the last one. Um, of, the bounce, of the, the bounce around. Romans 10. Listen to what Paul says. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. Here's the condition for salvation. Like, here's how you get saved. This is the clearest presentation of the gospel that you could have. Straight from the word, if you declare with your mouth, that's the first thing, that Jesus is Lord. And here's the second. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. There's a lot of, what Jesus is describing in Matthew 25 is that there's a lot of people that will confess with their mouth that Jesus is Savior, or they believe in Jesus. People say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But it never actually was conceived in their heart that they believed he was the Son of God that rose from the dead and that his, sins, that the, that his blood paid for their sins. 
And therefore, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit never happened. And therefore, the Bible would describe them as a false believer, right? So we pray that that's not the case for ourselves, but that's precisely what Jesus is dealing with here, is that in order for, and we're going to get into the parable of the bags of gold, and we're going to talk about the sheep and goat judgment. But there's a reason that Jesus put these things in order. And he first uses the parable of the ten virgins, virgins to explain to us the criticality of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And he uses it, the parable, about the oil in the lamps to explain that. Are you with me? Good. So listen to this. Once, now, you might ask yourself, man, well, how, how do I remain ready? Like, what does that look like? He, says, he clearly says, therefore, keep watch or be ready because you don't know the day or the hour. We don't know. Just like, the bride, just like the bride did not know when the groom would come to get her. We are the bride, the body of Christ, the church. We have no idea when Jesus is coming to get us. But we are to be ready, right? So what does readiness look like? What does readiness look like? We have to... Um, um, Deal with that, right? And so Jesus um, starts to teach another parable about readiness. So here we go. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. So this guy's going on a vacation. He's leaving his wealth um, with people to manage, right? The one, he gave five bags of gold to another two bags and to another one. Okay, so we're dealing with three types of servants here. One with five bags of gold, one with two, and one with one. Okay? Each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once. I circled that and put a little arrow in my Bible, and I put, he took action. That's what this guy did. He was given five bags of gold from the, the master, and he took action. He said, man, uh, he went at once and he put his money to work. Underline that. Put it to work. And he gained five bags more. There was a return on his investment. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. He did the same thing. He took action and was rewarded. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned. And look, underline this. He settled accounts with them. Settled accounts with them. Our master will settle accounts with us. So I want you to start thinking about your life as an account. What you've been given, the measure in which God has given you, your health, your wealth, your everything, your whole life, your money, your time, your efforts, your energy. That's what the master has imparted to you, his servant. So I want you to think about the account that you're going to be given to the Lord when you square up with him, right? We're going we're gonna to square up. And that's what he'll go on to teach about here in just a minute. But he settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. And see, I've gained five more. You hear the excitement in his voice? He was excited. He's like, when the master squared up with him, he was like, dude, I, I can't wait for this guy to get back, man. Like, I put my money here, and it doubled, and man, this guy's going to be pumped. He's going to be excited. I can't wait to tell him the good news. And then he says, um, his master replied, well done, my good and faithful servant. We've all heard that before. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. I'm um, sorry, come and share your master's happiness. 
So he invites him in to share in all of the master's joy. That's the joy of the Lord. It's this, it's this indicative of God when, 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 when he looks at us and we are proud to, to give him in return um, a, a, a reward, a gift for what he's imparted to us. He says, come and enjoy, like the joy of the Lord. Come and share in that with me. He says the same thing to the second guy. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. And look, I gained two more. Like He's like, you gave me two and I got two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Same thing, same message. Come and share your master's happiness. Exclamation point. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, which is the first thing that he says. He starts attacking the character of the master, right? That's kind of interesting. Harvesting where you have not sown, so he starts acting like what, what the master has is somehow unrightful. And gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid, circle that, this guy was living in fear, and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. What, an in, what a kind of a, um, spiteful attitude this, this third servant had, right? So he first of all approaches the master and attacks his character. <laughs> and then he acts like he's frustrated with the master that he had uh, what the servant didn't have in the first place. So he's like frustrated that he's, he's even uh, God. Like in, in, it'd be like someone that's frustrated that God is God. And there's people like that. They're mad because God is God. And it's like, what? what? <laughs> That's foolish. That's what Jesus is teaching here. God is God and you are not. And I am not. And we have to be okay with that. And it says, um, listen, to, listen to what the master replied. You wicked and lazy servant! Exclamation point. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. He's like, dude, if you're so lazy, man, the least you could have done is put it in the bank account. Like, you didn't have to work and, and, and go the extra mile like the, the servants with the five bags and the two bags did. I only gave you one bag and you couldn't even put it in the bank and just let it sit there, right? It's pathetic. He says... So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. So take it from this guy and give it to the other guy. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Woo! Come on, Lord. He's, so in the parable of the ten versions, he's talking about salvation and a filling of the Holy Spirit, right? And now what I want to, I'll throw a little plug in here for Brother Sean. A filling of the Spirit does not look like what some of you may <clears throat> have seen or heard about in church, right? Where people are just, I mean, there's videos online, right, where you got like this pastor on stage preaching and he's like, the Holy Spirit, he's like, you in the top corner, people are like falling out of their chairs, right? It's totally ridiculous. That is not what we're describing here. We're talking about fruit and evidence of 
the God-man himself in your life bearing fruit. We're not talking about like outward action. We're talking about inward change, okay? I want to throw that plug out there. But in the parable of the ten virgins, he's dealing with salvation and, and the filling of the Holy Spirit and the, and the solidification that you are a new creation in Christ. Then he moves into the parable of the bags of gold, and he's talking about stewardship, right? He's talking about the life that God has given you to live as a new creation in Christ. If you are not a new creation in Christ, this parable will not make any sense to you. You will have no idea what he's talking about with the kingdom stewardship because you're not a member of the kingdom. Okay, and that's what you need to come to grips with today. I believe strongly, man, it must be a day of salvation for somebody or maybe many. Because this message is so clear that you must be saved and a filling of the Holy Spirit is the seal of that salvation. And then God will give you gifts and talents and, and, and you are responsible to be a good steward of that. And then the great reward comes for those that are a part of that. And listen to this. Well, I'm sorry. Pause. I do have one little thing I wanted to share. This is a good quote, man. This is good. Charles Spurgeon, the great theologian, I take no credit for this. He said, it is better to be faithful in, he's talking about stewardship, right? Being faithful with what God has given you as a new creation in Christ. God's imparted something to you, a bag of gold, so to speak. And what you're doing with it is a measure of your faithfulness, right? So Charles Spurgeon said this, and I thought it was really good, and I don't want to miss it. He says, it is better to be faithful in the infant school than to be unfaithful amidst a noble class of men. Better to be faithful in a hamlet over two or three score of people than to be unfaithful in a great city parish with thousands perishing as a consequence. Better to be faithful in a cottage meeting, speaking of Christ crucified, to a half a hundred villagers than to be unfaithful in a great building where thousands gather. I just thought that was so good, man. God is not interested in the, the, the quote-unquote volume, right? Nobody's impressing God with what they can bring to the table. What he's saying is, man, like for me personally, it's better for me to stick to the word of God and to be true and to be faithful with the sheep that are sitting in this room that God's put under the flock and care of Jimmy and I and the rest of the staff. It's better for me to preach to 60 people than to preach to 60,000 people and they're all perishing because what I'm preaching wouldn't be true. What he's saying is stick to the truth, man. It's really, really important. And what I'm responsible for, per, my personal conviction, is that I've been exposed to the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ and the necessity of the message of salvation and to go and tell the world. Go and make disciples, teaching them to obey and baptizing them, right? We've got a baptism service next week, man. Some of you guys need to walk that out. That might be the next step in your stewardship over what God has given you is to be faithful to get baptized like God has asked you to do. We don't want to baptize you because we want to be able to say, we did 10 baptisms this week. I don't care if we do one or 100 as long as all of them are authentic and that people are actually doing it because they've had a born-again experience and they want to take the next step in their faith journey to live out the life that God has called them to. So listen to this. The first parable was speaking about salvation and the filling of the Holy Spirit. The second one is talking about our stewardship, right? Now listen to what happens if we are good stewards and what the reward is that we will receive. Listen to this, man. This is good news for those who are saved. And it is terrible news if you are not saved. So listen up. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, 
That alone is a mouthful. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, like when Jesus Christ, the God-man, comes in all of his glory, we don't even know what that's like. That we cannot comprehend what all of the glory of Jesus Christ is. But it's amazing. I know that. It's incomprehensible, but it's believable. He says, and all of the angels with him. All the angels. They're not some of them. All of them. That's, I mean, think about even one angel. So like the angel Gabriel or the archangel Michael. Even one angel coming with Jesus. I'd be like, whoa. What's the angel Gabriel, man? You know? And it's like all of them. I don't know how many there are. It says, he will sit on his glorious throne. He will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. There's only two types of people in the world, right? Those that are saved, those that are not. Those that are children of God and those that are sons of disobedience. That's it. There's two types of people in the world. He says, then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, listen to this. This is good news. Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. Underline that. Take your inheritance. Like that song Sean sang last week. Uh, that's all the lumber. That's all the lumber. That's all the lumber you sent. Right? You're sending up lumber into heaven, and the, the way the, the Lord can build our house, so to speak. That's the spirit of the song. Man, so take your inheritance. That's, that's all the lumber, right? That's what Jesus is going to say, man. For you sheep, the children of God, those that walked out obedience and discipline in their life and did what I asked them to do, you have an inheritance, and it's unbelievable, and it's right there. And I can't imagine what that experience is going to be like when I look at my inheritance. Like, I don't know what that's going to be like, but I hope it's awesome. Right? I know it will be. Um, he says, the kingdom prepared, I'm in verse 34 here, okay? The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, listen to this, Jesus explains to them why the inheritance is being given, okay? For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. There, you did something. You took action. You didn't earn your salvation. You were already saved, and you were walking out obedience in your life, and you were doing things for the Lord, and so you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You could also paraphrase that in the context of discipleship um, or, or, or um, helping others grow in the Lord. It's like, man, when you invest your life into other people to help them know and grow in Christ, that's what you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, this is bad news, this is the goats, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. 
For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes, and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't look after me. They also will answer, Lord. Same, same thing, right? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do, For one of the least of these you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Man, that's heavy. But it is such good news for the believer. It's such good news for the person born again. It's, such, it's so exciting for the person that has been washed by the blood and filled with the Spirit and knows that they're living a life worthy of the gospel. They're on the upward call of God in Christ, like Paul describes, right? He encouraged Brother Timothy to live out in that way. I, I started this because I've, this, the Lord put this on my heart. The account that God asks from you is personal. If you learn anything from this message today, I hope it's this. God will not ask what your church did, but what you did. That's what he's going to ask you. It's personal. Your account is personal. And I all I mean I just hope that you guys understand the message that's being preached this morning. Like there's we are so excited about the exterior of the building. Like it's been a long time coming for Jimmy, for eight, nine years in the Holbrooks. They've labored intensively over this church and this body, and it's really exciting to see what God can do on the outside of the building. But here's a caveat, man. I will tell you strongly my, can, I, can, can I just be honest with you guys about my fears? My fear is that we upgrade the outside of the building before you upgrade your heart. That we start construction on the cross outside before construction started on your heart on the inside. Like that is my biggest fear. Like what good is it if we build this massive church with all the glory on the outside And the inside is this creeping little beetle of Satan in here, like allowing people to believe that they're Christians that actually aren't. And I'm not beating any one person up. I'm trusting in the work of the Holy Spirit to move powerfully among the congregation this morning that some of you guys have been deceived into believing that you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Savior, but you have no fruit of the Spirit in your life whatsoever, and you actually live confused. This morning, you need to deal with it. Why? So that you can experience that moment in time when Jesus goes, right hand you go, brother. Right hand you go, sister. You are a sheep, and here's your inheritance. I mean, I just pictured like this morning I was on my knees in my room in my bed, and I was praying, and I was asking the Lord to just give me a, like something to chew on here, Lord. Like this is heavy content, but I want people to know that God wants to do great things in this church. God wants to do great things in this community, but it starts with each and every individual. And I was like, Lord, you know, I was sitting there thinking like, Lord, Why does it seem like I'm so excited about your coming and about like that great and awesome day of the Lord that's described, the Bema seat of Christ, the, 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 the time where me, the servant, goes to meet with the master and I give an account for what was given to me, my bags of gold, what I did with them. I can't wait for that day. You know why? Because I have a story to tell and I can see the fruit of God in my life. I can look at Kirk Johnson and go, Lord, look at that. 
Like I can stand in line and be like, that dude is growing in Christ because he, he's used me. I met his wife at Stillwell Elementary, and now like we become great friends. They're coming to the church, right? I can look at Mike Vaughn, be like, that dude is growing in the Lord, man. He was dead in sin and trespass, and that dude is rising up. Cody Thurston, I met this dude in Midwest Land Group selling land. He lives in Emporia. He's in church today. I've looked, there's fruit in my life. Look at Landon and Zimba. I met that dude in the, in the woods shed hunting for deer antlers. And him and his wife are at the church, and they're making disciples, and they serve in the youth group. That's no boast of myself, guys, none whatsoever. Everything in me is worthless apart from the Spirit of God in me. I hope you hear that. But I'm excited, and I picture when I'm standing in line there, and Jesus is like, Shay, give me the account. And I'm like, dude, I can't wait to tell you, Lord. Look at the work in him and all the people I just named, and there's hundreds more. And then I step to the side, and Jesus goes, there's your inheritance. That's all the lumber you sent, right? And I'm like, whoa! It says the master's going to help me build the house. This is exciting. And I picture a giant cul-de-sac, and me and Jimmy and Sean and Corey and Everybody's all in the same biggest cul-de-sac you've ever seen in your life. And all the kids are out playing. I'm like, woo. And I stand to the side, and I'm like, man, this is awesome. And then Jimmy steps up. And he's like, Lord, we did it. Look at, look at all the, look, look, look at Mike Wall. Look at Chris Walls. Look at Peter Hughes. Look at all. Dude, Lord, we did it. We did it, Lord. And he's like, yes. Look, Mike, well done, my good and faithful servant. And Jimmy comes over, and I'm like, woo. You know? And then Molly steps up. And she's like, Lord, we did it. Look at my kids. Look at, look at Gabriel. Look at Joshua and Sadie and Zeke. Lord, you used them, and like we raised them up. They weren't perfect, but they were filled with the Spirit, and they loved you, Lord. He's like, yes. He's like, look at the girls. Look at Brittany. Look at Misty. Look at these other girls in your life. You invested in them. And me and Jimmy are over there going, yes, she did it, Lord. And, he, and she comes over, and like we're all just excited about our inheritance. And then my boy steps up, Gabriel, my firstborn. And he's like, Lord, we did it. Like, we look at Grayson, and then and look at Hank. Look at his friends. Look what we did, Lord. Kids at school on my baseball team. He's like, yeah. I'm like, bro, good job, dude. Come on, right? It's joyful. And there's other people that are going to go up there, and they're going to make excuses. And they're going to be like, Why, who made you the judge, God? Right? And he's going to be like, you're without excuse. Every single man, woman, and child on planet earth is without excuse, man. If you think that you're going to get to the judgment, the throne judgment, and, and uh, God is going to somehow give you a pass, he's going to say, you are a fool. You're an absolute fool. I sent preachers, teachers, neighbors, friends, bosses, co-workers, uh, siblings. Man, like I sent all kinds of people in your life to tell you the truth about who Jesus was. You made a decision that I was not the son of God, I was not savior of the world, and I definitely was not gonna be your Lord. And you are without excuse. He's gonna say that. And it's not gonna matter to us, to me and Jimmy and my wife and all the other people, all the other saints. We're gonna be over here enjoying the inheritance and excited about the, the marriage supper of the lamb that the Bible talks about. So I don't know why the Lord's bringing a heavy verse, uh, a, a teaching this morning, but I hope that it's falling on ears that will hear and eyes that will see. God is moving, man. God is at work in your life particularly, but you gotta let him. You've been given a free will. I remember when I got saved, it was in a, it, well, I heard the gospel in the church, Methodist church in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I heard the gospel. 
The pastor was preaching, and I knew it, man. God was on my heart. And I'd known it for a couple years, but I was starting to feel the heat. And then three people got up and shared their testimony. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Lord, you're asking me for mine, right? Like, I need one. I don't have one. And I remember, I didn't have the courage at that time. In fact, I don't think there actually was an altar call or an offer to come receive Christ. But the people just said, man, give your life to Jesus. And like in Romans 10, it explains that you have to confess that Jesus is Lord, but you also have to believe in your heart. And that's one thing I can't do for you. The church can't do that for you. You've been given a free will by God to do it yourself. And whether you do it on an altar call or whether you do it in your seat or you go out in your car or you go home or whatever, you have to authentically give your life to Jesus so that you can start new as a new creation and walk forward from there. Letting the Spirit of God fill you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Like in Ephesians chapter 1 describes the promises of God for the believer. If you're not experiencing the promises of God as a believer, start with salvation, okay? Get saved. Give your life to Jesus and let him fill you with the Spirit. Then go through a period of sanctification, right? Where God, the, the Holy Spirit starts to change you from the inside out. And you know and grow in Christ until the day that you physically die, but go to be with the Lord. And you are glorified to be with him as he is. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head in a spirit of prayer. And I'm going to ask Sean to come up and play. And I'm just going to pray with you guys. And I, I want to read this as we pray. You, you guys just remain in a spirit of prayer. And I'm going to pray with us, with you guys. But I'm just going to use the scripture. And hey, this is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. This is Paul's prayer to the Ephesian church. And this is my prayer and our prayer for each of you and those watching and listening right now in this very moment. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and in and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus, you are everything in every way. We are nothing without you, Lord. I am so grateful for the word of God. I'm grateful that you've given me the privilege to teach it, Lord. I'm unworthy. But it is your spirit in me that compels myself to do what you've asked me to do. Whether it's to preach a word from the stage on Sunday morning, to love and lead my wife, to honor her, to, to raise up my kids to know you, to lead the youth ministry, Lord, to make disciples, raising up men to follow you to do the same. Whatever it is, Lord, I continue to give my life to you. 
And I pray, Lord, that in this moment, as we remain in a spirit of prayer and Sean um, plays a song for us, this is an opportunity for somebody in here to give their life to Jesus today. And you, this is an invitation to come to the altar. The altars are open. And this is not a pressure situation from Shay. This is between you and Jesus. If the Lord is on your life and says, man, you need a defining moment where you go from dark to light. This is it. If, if this is it, the opportunity is here. Sean's going to play a song. You can come up to the stage, take a knee, and just say, Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner, and I want you to save me. But only you can know if you actually believe that in your heart. And if you do, let him have it. And he will bless you beyond measure. And I can't wait to stand in line with you and hear about the stories and your inheritance, the things that God will do in your life that we will all get to share in for all of eternity. If you're in this room right now and you're in a spirit of prayer and you say, man, I'm saved. i just walking in a season of dryness. You have free will inside of you. Not only that you could have already chosen Jesus as your Savior, but to live for him. Crucify yourself daily and that Christ might live in you. Share in his sufferings. So do that for yourself and for the church. Ask the Lord to restore the joy of your salvation Restore like anything that we have broken, God can restore and make all things new. And so, Jesus, we ask you for your help in this time. We ask for a powerful move of the Spirit in this time, Lord, and that those that need to come forth would come forth. Those that need to sit in their seat would sit in their seat and use this time wisely as this is a first step towards stewardship for some of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.